How many of you have ever had your email hacked? How many of you know someone who's had their identity stolen? Quite a few. I received an offer in the mail from a company called LifeLock urging me to protect my identity. There's the, uh, the logo. LifeLock, relentlessly protecting your identity. And to convince me that I needed their services, they included some alarming statistics. Did you know that last year over 11 million Americans fell victim to identity theft? On average, somebody has their identity stolen every two seconds. And here's another. It's estimated that financial losses associated with identity theft total $24.7 billion. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you need to protect your identity? If you're a Christian this morning, I would say it is absolutely essential for you to protect your identity, although not in the way you may be thinking right now. And if you're somebody who has questions about what it means to be a follower of Christ, if you've never made that decision to become a Christian, I would say it is absolutely essential for you to get a new identity. And we're going to talk about how you can do that this morning. Today we're continuing our series called We Are the Church. And the title of today's message is Protect Your Identity. We're going to be looking at some verses in Ephesians chapter 1. That's on page 946. If you've got one of the brown Bibles that we provided for you. And I want to begin with this question. Why is your identity so important? Why is your identity so important? And here's a short answer. You live according to your identity. You live according to your identity. What you believe about yourself shapes your entire life. What you believe about yourself determines the choices that you make, the dreams that you have, the goals that you pursue. Your identity is so important because your identity determines how you see your potential. And everybody lives with a certain sense of their individual potential. But think about this. Think about a little child learning to walk. How many of you have ever seen a little child learn to walk? And you know how it goes. They get old enough where they can stand up and they pull themselves up on a chair or a sofa. And then they kind of survey the room. And you can almost tell what, what they're thinking. Can I do this? If I let go, can I walk like a big person? And so based on their assessment of their potential, what do they do? They let go, and they take a few steps, and generally what happens? They fall down, and then they get up, and they survey the room again. Can I do this? And they convince themselves, yeah, I can do this, so they let go, and eventually they they learn to walk. But there is this process of constantly evaluating our potential, and that's true of every single one of us throughout our life. The person who says, um, can I pass this algebra exam? Can I change careers? Can I start this new business? A guy goes into Home Depot and he's seen a lot of do-it-yourself projects on TV and he says, can I really tackle this home improvement project by myself? The young woman who stands at the altar ready to take her wedding vows and says, can I, can I be a good wife to my husband? Can I someday be a good mom to my children? As we face life's challenges, both large and small, We're constantly assessing our potential based on our identity. And our assessment of who we are and what we're capable of doing shapes the choices that we make. And here's something that I've I've thought about a lot this week because of conversations with different people. When you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there are times when you make a bad choice or the wrong choice. We do that all the time, don't we? And often the reason we do that is because we have forgotten who we are. It's really a crisis of identity. 
that leads us to make those choices. And that brings us to this question. It's on your outline. What is the basis of your identity? What is the basis of your identity? Look at the statement on your outline. I am, and there's a blank for you to fill in. How would you complete that statement? I am. Now think about this. How many of you looked in the mirror this morning? Okay, most of you made some adjustments before you came to church this morning. But when you looked in the mirror, who was looking back? Who is that person that you see? Now, if you're a guy, many of you guys know this, your identity is often based on what? Who knows? Your job, exactly, your career. And so if you were going to complete that statement, a lot of guys would say, well, I'm a, I'm a police officer, I'm a sales rep, I'm a CPA, whatever it happens to be. But here's the reality. If your identity is based largely on your job, what happens if you lose your job? You lose your, your identity. And some of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been through a period of unemployment, and it's like, well, who am I? Because I don't have this job I used to have. Now, for women, it's, it's often very different. For many women, their sense of identity is based on relationships. And so for many women, they would complete the statement this way, I am a wife. I'm a mother. I'm a sister. I'm a granddaughter. For many women, their sense of identity is rooted in relationships, which is why when women go through a divorce, many times they have a crisis of identity because their identity was really closely related to that relationship they had with their husband. And consider this. As you face the challenges and opportunities in your life today, what causes you to say this to yourself? There's probably no way I can do this. I know that if I try, I'll probably fail. Conversely, what would cause you to say this to yourself? I believe I can do this. I'm going to try because there's a good chance of success. What do you use to measure your potential? Is it the family that you grew up in? Is it your talent, your intelligence, your education, your looks? Today, as we study the book of Ephesians, we're going to see what God wants us to use as a basis of our identity and our potential. So let's begin with chapter 1, verse 1. And this is what the Apostle Paul writes under the inspiration of God's Spirit. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, consider this. How would the Apostle Paul complete that statement on your outline? I am. Well, Paul really tells us, I am an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. An apostle is somebody sent on a mission. So here's how Paul would identify himself, I'm a follower of Jesus. That is my core identity. His view of himself is defined by his relationship with Jesus Christ. Now notice what he says, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now who is a saint? Well, this verse is not talking about those little statues that people sometimes put on the dash of their car or in front of their yards. A saint is a follower of Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, every believer is considered a saint. Not a perfect person, but somebody who's really trying to follow Jesus. So if you're a Christian, this is a key question this morning. If you're a Christian, what should be the basis of your identity? Not your job, not relationship with other people, not anything other than your relationship with Jesus Christ. When you look in the mirror, you can say, I'm a child of God. I'm an ambassador of Christ. And this is critically important for each and every one of us, knowing that our identity is connected to Christ. Now, look at this next question. It says, what is the basis of our identity as a church? What is our corporate identity? Now, last week, 
We talked about some metaphors for the church. We said the church is the bride of Christ and the church is the body of Christ. Now those metaphors remind us that our corporate identity is our connection with Jesus. And here in chapter 1, Paul is going to point out the benefits, the blessings of being connected to Christ as a group. So look at verse 3. He says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now in this first chapter of Ephesians, we're going to see that our identity and our potential, both individually and as a church, is based on what God has done for us. Now let me ask you this. How many gods are there? There is one true God. And this one true God, His being is expressed in three persons. There is God the Father, God the Son, and who is God the Son? Jesus Christ, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And our identity is based on what God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit has done for us. And not just on what they've done for us in the past, but for what they are doing for us right now and what they have promised to do for us in the future. Now, during this week as I was working on the message, somebody asked me this question, do Muslims and Christians pray to the same God? It's an important question, isn't it? And my emphatic answer is no, absolutely not. Because the God of Christianity is not the God of Islam. The God of the Scriptures, the Bible, is not the God of the Quran. You see, according to the belief of a Muslim, God doesn't exist as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In fact, it's the highest heresy to believe that. And Jesus Christ is not someone who died on a cross to pay for our sins and rose from the dead. And so church is really important, especially with the clash that's taking place right now in our world between Islam and Christianity and even here in our own country for us to know who we are as God's people and whose we are. And so this morning, I want to do this. I want to show you from the book of Ephesians who we are. So first of all, and this is on your outline, we have been chosen by God the Father. We have been chosen by God the Father. Look at this verse. This is verse 4. For he, God, chose us in him, that's in Christ, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Take a look at this next picture. This is a picture of uh, two people in my family. One is our dog, Barnabas, and the other is our youngest granddaughter, Luna. Barnabas was chosen to be a part of the Hodges family. In fact, he was rescued. He was in a kill shelter in Georgia. They transferred him down here to a place called Big Dog Ranch Rescue. That's where we met him. But at one point in his life, he had no hope and he had no future. He was destined for destruction. And when I look at my dog, I can relate to him. In fact, every Christian should be able to relate to his story because you know what? We have been chosen by God. We've been rescued. We've been adopted into God's forever family. Now, here's a question that I've wrestled with ever since I became a believer. Why did God choose me? Have you ever thought about that? Why did God, why did God choose any of us? And here's my honest answer. I don't know. 
God is a sovereign God. There is a mystery to his will. I know that Jesus said this to his followers, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And this idea that God chooses certain people to be in his family and not others is a very difficult doctrine. I remember one time I was teaching a high school Bible study and one of the young ladies asked me this question, "Uh, Pastor Dudley, what if I want to become a Christian but God hasn't chosen me? powerful question isn't it and I said well let's look at what Jesus said Um, this is in John 6 37 Jesus said everyone that the father has given me will come to me and I won't turn any of them away I know this for certain if you want to become a Christian God will accept you in fact that desire to become a Christian is evidence that God has chosen you to be a part of his family and being chosen by God is it's a profound mystery and it's also a profound blessing And even though I don't know why God chose me, I know this, it wasn't because of who I am or anything I've done or ever will do. It's not because I earned it. It's not because I deserved it. It's simply because of his amazing grace. And listen, if you're a believer this morning, this idea of being chosen by God really forms the basis of your identity. And it should make you so incredibly humble and thankful And this is especially important when life is hard. I mean, when you're going through a time that's just really difficult and you feel overwhelmed, remember this, you're a child of God. He has chosen you to be in his family and nothing can ever change that. Jesus said that that when you're in God's hands, nothing can take you out of the grip of God, out of the grip of his grace. And here's, here's another thought that I wanted to share with you this morning. When you're chosen by God, It's not just that you've been adopted into into a new family. You have been given an incredible purpose for your life because God calls you and me as a part of his church to join him in the work he's doing in this world. Now, just real quickly, this is a huge thought in the book of Ephesians, what God is up to, what Jesus is actually doing now that he's in heaven. And the Bible talks about this this grand story, this, this drama of redemption, and it starts out with two people. What are their names? Adam and Eve, and they sin against God, and a curse is pronounced, not just on Adam and Eve, but on the earth, on the entire universe. I mean, it's a disaster. And we know that God's plan is this. God's plan is to reverse the curse. How does he do that? By sending Jesus Christ to our world. And what God is up to right now is the restoration of all things, the restoration of the universe, the restoration of his people, the healing of the human heart. That's what God is doing. And we get to join God in that work as members of his family. Now listen, that should give us incredible purpose and meaning for our lives. And that should form our sense of identity, both individually and corporately. Now, here's something else that I want you to see in terms of our identity. We've been chosen by God the Father. And here's the second thing. We have been redeemed by God the Son. We have been redeemed by God the Son. Now, what does it mean to be redeemed? Here's a story that might help. It's actually another dog story. There was a little boy who had a puppy, and he loved his puppy, and his puppy ran away from home, and he looked everywhere for his puppy. He couldn't find it. So finally, he decided he would go to the neighborhood pet shop. And there in the pet shop, guess what? He found his puppy. It was in a cage. And he said to the pet shop owner, hey, that's my my puppy. And the owner said, no, he's my puppy. Now, if you want him, you're going to have to pay for him. And the little boy said, well, how much do you want for for my puppy? And the guy said, 20 bucks. Well, for this little boy, that was a lot of money. And so he went out and did odd jobs. He worked for weeks, and finally he came back to the pet store. 
And he gave the owner the $20, opened the cage, set his puppy free, and took him home. Now that is a picture of redemption. Because to redeem, it literally means to buy back. To pay the price to set someone free. And that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. Look at verse 7. It says, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. I remember reading a story about the famous baseball player. His name was uh, Billy Sunday. Does anybody remember that name? By the way, this is from quite some time ago. But he was a a very well-known baseball player and he um, started to hold these crusades where he would ask people to become followers of Christ. And he was going to do a crusade in this one city so he sent a letter to the mayor and he said, Mayor, listen, if there's you know, people that you know in the city that really need Jesus, I wish you would send me their name so I could be praying for them. And you know what the mayor did? He sent him the telephone directory for the entire city. Everybody needs a savior. Everybody needs redemption. Every single one of us. And that's what the Bible says. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. That's true for every single one of us. We come into this world with a heart that pulls us away from God and his purpose and plan. The Bible says that when we violate God's command to love him with all of our heart and to love our neighbor, that's sin, and sin separates us from a holy God. And because God is just, he can't just look the other way and say, that's no big deal, don't worry about it. He has to punish every sin we've ever committed. And that is the bad news, that we are in a, a situation that is hopeless unless God intervenes. And because of his great love, there is this plan that is formed in the heart and the mind of God even before we were ever born. It's a plan to rescue us. And God the Father has a role and God the Son has a role and God the Holy Spirit has a role in that plan of redemption. And we know that God chooses us and he does this. He, he sends Jesus Christ to earth. And Jesus voluntarily becomes a human being. We call that the incarnation. He becomes one of us. He lives a perfect life. And because of his perfect life, he is now qualified to offer himself as a substitute for us. And that's why Jesus allows himself to be arrested and beaten and crucified. Because on that cross, there's an amazing transaction that takes place. God is willing to take your sin and my sin and put our sin on Jesus and punish him in our place. The wrath of God that we deserve is poured out on Christ and he dies for us. And God raises him from the dead. And Jesus says, come and follow me. Admit you're a sinner. Ask for my forgiveness. Believe that I died and rose from the dead. And hey, let me be the one who directs your life. Because I'm not just the Savior. I'm the Lord. I love what a man named Dallas Willard said one time. He said, it may be a very bad thing that I need a Savior, but it's a very good thing that Jesus thinks I'm worth dying for. Do you realize that? If you're a Christian this morning, Jesus thinks you're worth dying for. And if you're not a Christian, think about what Jesus said. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You can become a child of God by your choice. I want you to listen to this song right now. It's a very powerful song and it talks about what it means to be redeemed.
As I was listening to the, the lyrics of that song just now, I was thinking about this fact that so often when we look in the mirror and we think about our identity and even about our potential, it's based on, on the past, isn't it? The things that we've done in the past, the things that have happened to us in the past. And yet that song is a song of hope, isn't it? Because Jesus, by his sacrifice, has settled our past. The church, who are we? Well, we've been chosen by God the Father. We've been redeemed by God the Son. And here's the last thing. We've been sealed by God the Holy Spirit. That's on your outline. Sealed by God the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, the good news of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And here's the last verse we're going to look at this morning. Who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, what is a seal? I've got a, a book that I just grabbed off the shelf of my office. And if you open the book, there's a seal right here that you can see. I have a, a device that I use to imprint a seal. And it says, from the library of Dudley Hodges. So if you find this book lying around, you know who it belongs to. You can return it. The Bible says that we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. And when you become a Christian, He takes up residence in your life, in your heart. And He is proof that you actually belong to God, that you're a part of God's family. And God's Holy Spirit is the one who gives you a new identity and a new potential. There's a verse that the Apostle Paul wrote, it's in Philippians chapter 4, I can do all things through who? Through Christ who gives me strength. He's referring to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, who has given him a new potential to accomplish everything that God calls him to do. And that's true of us as well. And church, this is so important because we've got to understand our identity and our potential, not just as individuals, but as a church. And quickly, let me just point out the practical implications of our new identity. This is on your outline. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a new family. A brand new family. And it is a big, big, big family. I mean, really big. Think about that well-known Christian song that talked about heaven. We're going to need a big, big house and a big, big yard. Because we have a big, big family, right? I mean, we're connected to Christians all over the world. Not just today, but throughout history. That is God's family. And think about this. When you hear news about what's happening in other parts of the world, I was thinking about the news report this week about the Christians in Syria that were abducted from a church by the Islamic State. That's not just happening to foreigners in a strange land. That's our family. Those people are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to pray for them and do all that we can to help them. So that's one practical reality. We have a new family. Here's another. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a new record. A brand new record. You're not defined by your past. The Bible says this, that our record of disobedience, our record of failure and shame and regret was nailed to the cross and destroyed by the death of Christ. That's incredible, isn't it? So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a new record, and finally you do have a new potential. In fact, we have, as God's people, a brand new potential. And church, it is so critically important that we understand that I believe 
that in the days and the years ahead, God is going to call BBCC to do some pretty remarkable and challenging things. And if we don't believe that God is able to do more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that works in us, we're not even going to try to do them. And so that's why it's so important to understand who we are and whose we are. And let me say this. One of the the things that God wants us to do as a church is to let other people know about his goodness and his grace. He wants this church to be a place that is filled with truth and grace coupled together. Because listen... God has placed us in a very strategic location. I talked about it last week. But I, I got a letter in the mail this week, and it talked about the fact that West Palm Beach, this area, is the most unchurched area in the entire nation. There is opportunity all around us, and we need to be concerned about the people where we live and work and play and how much they need to know what we know, that Jesus loves them. And so I want to do this. I want to show you, in closing, a video that explains the reasons that people don't go to church and what we can do about it. Let's watch. Here's a few reasons why people don't go to church. I can't come to church until I get my life together. Church is how I got my life together. Church is filled with a bunch of hypocrites. And there's always room for one more. All they care about is your money. They care about me, not about my money. Is there some kind of dress code? Yes, the code is wear some clothes. Church, it just makes me nervous. I was nervous at first. And then I felt right at home. I'm not sure I believe everything that you believe. But you can still belong. Church is for wimpy, girly men. You want to say that again? If you knew me and what I've done, you wouldn't want me. If you knew me and what I've done, you wouldn't be worried. You can come to my church even if you were brought up Catholic, Baptist, Methodist, Jewish, Mormon, Lutheran, Pentecostal, Presbyterian, Church of Christ, Southern Baptist, a little bit of everything and a whole lot of nothing. See, it's not about a religion, it's about a relationship. So please, come to my church. Where nobody's perfect. Where beginners are welcome. Where socks are optional. But grace is required. Where forgiveness is offered. Where hope is alive. And where it's okay to not be okay. Really. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, what a powerful message about the kind of place that you want your church to be. God, I pray that more and more we would be a grace place where people really can find hope and healing. And and Lord, even today, if there's someone here who has heard this message and they've understood they need a new identity, I pray that today they would make that decision to follow Jesus, to simply come to you and say, Lord, I need you to forgive me because I've done a lot of things that are wrong. I believe that Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead, and I, 
I just want to follow him because I need a new life. Father, you always, always honor that prayer. And I pray that, that more and more people, God, would come to this, this place, that we would invite our friends and neighbors and people at work and school to come and join us as we worship you. Because, God, we know the church is not a building. And we know that buildings don't change lives. But, God, this is true. What happens inside buildings does change lives. So thanks for changing our lives. And, God, as we bring the service to a close, I, I just want to thank you for the, the message that Paul's given us in this letter that we call Ephesians, that, Lord Jesus, you are on your throne right now that you're in charge of governments and galaxies, that you're in charge of our lives, that you reign, Lord Jesus. And, and because of that, we can, we can have hope, we can have security, we can have purpose and meaning in our lives. And so, Lord, as we close this service, we want to praise you because, Lord, you reign forever. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.